Good morning, all seasons. It is so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Uh, in our middle of our series on being authentic, being an authentic Christian. And we talked the first two weeks about being authentic is just knowing who I am, understanding that I am a disciple, I have made a commitment. We talked about the rich young ruler who had that decision. He had a choice to make. And he chose wrong. We always wonder what he could have been. The Bible says Jesus loved him. He saw something in him. But he made a choice that he walked away sorrowful and chose not to be a follower, not to be a disciple. And so from that moment on, after we make a choice, and if we choose to be in the kingdom of God and choose to be part of the kingdom of God, then Jesus then, being the king and the ruler, starts to teach us and show us what we are to look like or to be like. So if someone says, what is a Christian like? What is a Christian supposed to do? I hear questions all the time. Well, what is God's will for my life? Well, that's not complicated questions. They're easy to answer. Now, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter if you work in a garage. It doesn't matter if you drive a bus. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. We try to find that as our, well, that's what God's called me to do. No, that's what you do to eat groceries. That's what you need to buy groceries and to pay bills and to keep your lights on and, and stay a little warm in the winter. That, that's just part of your life. Now, you want to be careful that you don't soak so much of that that you eventually have no time to do what you're really called to do, to invest your life into some part of the kingdom. So we made that choice that we are disciples, that we're followers so hopefully everyone in here, if you haven't, then, then I hope that you will make that choice. I hope that you will decide that I, the first thing that I'm doing, I'm going to decide that Jesus is Lord. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is not just the one who forgave me. He is my Savior. He saved me from my old life, and he's brought me into a new life. I hope that you will make that choice. But if you do, then we're talking to a different group. I'm talking to people this morning that if I were to walk up to you and ask you point blank, are you saved? Oh, yes, Brother Lot. Okay. Do you know the Lord? Yes. Okay. Then now we need to move. And last week we began by talking about the first thing that Jesus said when he calls his disciples and tells them, I want you to be my disciple. He said, I will teach you how to be what? Fishers of men. This is not a, 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 a something that you just might do. I will teach you how to win people. In fact, from this moment on, I don't care if you're at school, and if you're saved, there's going to be a heart for that person that's lost, and you're going to want to win them to Christ. I don't care if you're at work, that you're going to see someone, and you're going to think, oh, man, they need the Lord real bad. You're going to have a desire to catch fish. You're going to have a desire, and if you don't have that, then you've got to go back to the first step. But if you've conquered that, then your first desire is some way, somehow, using my gifts, my talents, my the Lord is going to teach me how to be a soul winner. We talked about some of the ways that God does it, and one of the main ways is using the bait that God allows us to have, which is our story. Learning to tell your story well. Learning to share your story to the world. Well, Brother Lot, it's, it's not good. Well, that's what makes it because if I take fishing bait, which I grew up catching, catfish and stuff, so somebody would say, do you want to go fishing? Yes. Well, we got to put the bait on. And I can't tell you how many people over the years I'd say, well, here's cricket. Stick your hand in that cricket thing and grab a, oh, no, I can't touch crickets. And I'm like, it's bait. Or here's a box of worms. Grab one of these worms. Oh, no, it's too slight. Oh, I can't do that. Look at the person beside you and say, bait is nasty. Bait is nasty. My dad was a catfish Charlie guy. So we had them three-prong hooks. You would take a pinch of it out, roll it into a ball, shove it on that three-prong hook, and after about two or three times of doing that, everything smelled like catfish. I remember one time that when I was playing baseball as a kid, probably 10, 11 years old, 
Dad wanted to go fishing early that day, and we were going to come back for the baseball game. But we did. My clothes were in the truck, but I didn't have time to take a bath or anything. And I still to this day can remember walking in that locker room or walking in that dugout because a dugout is an open thing. It ain't like it's closed up. I walked in that dugout and sat down and every one of those 10-year-old kids sitting with me looked at me and said, dude, whoo, you smell bad. And you have to realize I didn't have a sense of smell, so I didn't even know. I'm like, I just went fishing. We caught a bunch of, they, they didn't care. It's like, whoo, it's bad. Whether you use chicken liver or whatever, your story is messy. Your story has has parts in it that, that hurt. And I'm not telling you to name everything and put people's names. No, we have to clean it up to the point to where, you know, we don't want to hurt anyone. But we have to realize our testimony will have a messy side. If you hear mine, it's not like I just went to church one day and I was just had nothing else to do and I got saved. No, I was messed up. Smelling bad, looking rough, when God saved me. And for the world to believe God can, they got to hear your story. Okay, today, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. So we're, we're supposed to be fishermen, called to be fishermen, but now in this context of fishermen, we are to have a lifestyle. We are to have the ability to influence the world. And here's what Jesus said in his time. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it will give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the second phase of what we're called to do. We are called to be fishermen. We are also called to be salt and light. We are called to be people of influence. Now, I need to tell you a problem that we have now. This was not a hard sell 20 years ago when I started, or 35 years ago when I started preaching. 35 years ago when I started preaching, all I needed to do was convict people of what they knew they needed to do and get them to do it. People already knew, I know I need to be in church, but when man, come on, get back in church. Okay, I'm getting back. 20-something. Now, do people really have to go to church? I mean, I can get it at home just like I can. I mean, it, it, is, it is a totally different mindset. In fact, I love the way one person put it, and I'm going to describe it the way he does. I'm not trying to, to, to say I come up with this original thought. I'm just telling you this is something I heard, and I love the way he presented it. But listen to me. He said it this way. He said, Christians have lost the home field advantage. This week, I got to go watch a football game, and, and, and I've always wanted to go to a certain stadium and got to go and, and had a great time, but it was so amazing because when you walk into that home stadium, everything was blue. I had on blue. I had, I had my, my and, and in fact, the guy who was with me, he came with me, he had a Mississippi State sweet, a t-shirt. I said, dude, I am not walking in this room with you in a maroon Mississippi State t-shirt. So I went to looking to find him a shirt we couldn't do. And he finally, he said, I'll tell you what I got. He had a white with a blue stripe. I said, that's close enough. We're going in with that. But we were not going in with colors that didn't match. We were not walking in because everybody had blue and white. In fact, it was called blue out. It was a blue night. If you would have walked in with any other color, green, yellow, red, maroon, it didn't matter. You are going to stick out like a sore thumb. When we walked in, it was funny because when the visiting team ran onto the field, all the lights went out. I thought, you can't get more disrespectful than that. 
I mean, all the lights, they just turned the lights. You could barely see them running across the field to get to there. And then when the home team's time was, all the lights came on. I mean, all the, I mean, everything, cannons going off, boom, boom, boom. And here they come running out, man. And I mean, it is, the crowd goes crazy. And let me explain something to you. Christians today are the visiting team. There was a time years ago we were the home team. There was a time a long time ago that, that crowds cheered us on, that, that people applauded someone who did good. You would turn on the news and they would do articles about people who were doing good things and living good and, and, and doing it. In our day and age, it's not this way anymore. No more. Even our enemies years ago, even if they didn't like us or agree with us, they respected us. They would at least listen and say, well, I understand. I mean, I, I know, I know you, you're a Christian and I know you have certain. But in our day and age, that's not even acceptable. How dare you try to bring God into any situation? How dare you try to pray at a school? How dare you try to invoke ten commandments? How dare you? We want to remove anything and everything that would give any sign that we have. And you are a visitor here. You are not welcome here. We are going to turn the lights out on you every opportunity we can to let you know we want you to be quiet. We want you to lose. We want you. In fact, if, if you were to talk about the biggest article that would happen in Scott County, it wouldn't be that Pastor Lot builds a camp through all seasons. It wouldn't be that we've been here, nobody showed up to say, you know, we want to interview you, Pastor Lot. You've been at all seasons for nearly 30 years. You've impacted the whole community of Forest. You've done all that. But I guarantee you, if Pastor Lot had a, a moral failure, I imagine if I had an affair, I guarantee you I'd have news cameras all the way from Jackson wanting to come and say, can we interview you? We, we heard about your problem. We heard that you messed. Why? Because you're not the home team anymore. Nobody's rooting you on anymore. And that's discouraging for many Christians. That, that's hard for us we think, well, well, I haven't done anything to you. I, I use this analogy all the time jokingly. I haven't stole anybody's lawnmower. I hadn't cheated you. I haven't done anything. If anything, I tried to do something for you and tell you you don't owe me anything. I've tried in every way to be good, but you are a visitor. No more. You are the more Christian you are, the more sold out you are, the more you decide to be a fisherman, the more you decide to stand, the more isolated, whether it's a church, an individual, a family, the more you stand, the brighter, the bigger you try to stand for the Lord. Listen to me. The more isolated you will feel in this world. Brother you, you make it sound, I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just telling you this is the playing field that we're on now. This is the playing field that, that we have now. How, how do you mean that, Brother Lodge? What do you mean isolate? Well, my definition of life and when life begins and what life is and whether you can kill somebody or not is totally different than the world. So we're not going to be on the same team. Do you understand that marriage has been redefined by our world? And it says this is marriage. And I'm like, I don't agree with that. Oh, well, then you're just going to be quiet. You just need to go find you a place to get lost because this is marriage now. Well, well how, about, how about just the fact of male and female? Whether you can keep a man out of a women's dressing room or not. I'm like, can we at least do that? No. That's discrimination. Men ought to be able to go in any bathroom they want to. and any, any, If they feel like they're a woman and they don't know if they're a man or not, they ain't got it all figured out and they're all messed up in the head, they ought to be able to go wherever they want to until they figure it out. Well, then, uh, we're not going to agree on that. Uh, marriage, male, female. How about just dignity? How you treat people? At the ball game... The other night, I, I, I was so excited. I got to go. I got to do this. Only one problem. There was like three 20-year-old guys behind me. Had never been to a ball game before. Act like they ain't never been out of their house before. I'm sitting there. The guy beside me has his two children. An older couple sitting beside me on the other side. We're enjoying the game. 
And I kid you not, from the moment the second beer was drunk, I'm sure that wasn't the first one or the second one, but it's the one that took it on over the top. It was an F-bomb every second, every everything from that moment on. And I thought, I looked over at this guy and he's like, and I looked over at the couple and they didn't make it to about the third quarter and they were like, blankety blank them, blankety blank this, blankety blank. And, and what was so funny was, this was the humorous part, it stopped for a while, all because my buddy went to go get something to eat. And this is just so, it's so humorous. He couldn't get in the row we were on. So he had to walk down the row of the three guys. And he gets in amongst them, and he's trying to pass stuff over. I'm watching the game. I don't see him. And, 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 and this is what he yells, Pastor! And I ignored it. I know. A voice. And I was just thinking, maybe it was just somebody, you know, from way in my past or something. And, and, and he said, Pastor! Woo! Pastor! And I was, finally, I turned, everybody turned around, and the three guys are like. He said, Cody, that's why I step over. And I did, and I just smiled at the three guys and everything. And it worked for just a little while. But I realized I'm a visitor. This is their world. And it didn't last long before. Well, in fact, that doesn't mean nothing to me. I don't care. Because the culture we live in doesn't care anymore. Didn't care if there was children sitting right there. Didn't care about dignity. My idea of dignity, even if there's something I don't want to do, even if there's something I, I, I believe in, just showing people dignity respecting who they are. If I go into a house and, and you've got a whole bar set up, I'm not going to walk in like, well, y'all are all going to die and go to hell. I, that, that's, not, that's not what you're going to do. You walk in and they're like, they're like oh, I know we got, look, it's fine, man, it's fine. It doesn't bother me. I show dignity to but we live in a society, go to work and see if you can find people that treat you with dignity. Go, go to anywhere, go to Walmart, go anywhere, see if you can find... People are trying to hire people that can just stand at a register and say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir. I mean, we're having a fit just trying to find people that can just be nice, even if they pay them to be nice. You ain't paying me that much. I'm not paying you enough not to cuss and just to say thank you. We're going to be different because our appropriateness. Don't even get me on clothes. And all the stuff that people wear or they don't wear. I'm on a different team. Do you realize that? The way I talk, the way I treat people, the way I act, the way I'm on a different team. And for some people, it's like, well, that's too much, brother. I just, I just don't. Well, then understand that this is what we're called to do. And, and in our minds, what we want to do more than anything else is, is we want to isolate. We want to pull back. And our, and our feelings is we want to pull back and just say, look, I'm just going to live a good life in my house. I'm just going to order. I'm not, I'm not even going to restaurants. I'm not even going into this stuff. I'm not even going. I'm, I, I'm just going to avoid it all. And Jesus says, that's not what I called you to do. Let me show you a few verses earlier. Verses 1 through 9 of Matthew 5 is the beginning of his sermon. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. The beginning of his sermon goes like this. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the... And, and, he, and he talks about how all of... If you have this personality, he said, let me explain the personality of the people in my kingdom. They're humble. They're good to people. They're lowly. They, 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 they're not trying to cause trouble there. And he goes through the whole litmus test and he gets to this and he gets to verse 10 and up to here you're like, Man, that's hard enough. But then in verse 10, he says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He said, in my kingdom, even though you're doing right, I know in your mind you're thinking, well, God, you need to do something. And God's saying, you're probably not going to get what you're thinking. There's going to be persecution for my sake, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of Remember, I told you you don't belong to this kingdom, this world. I don't, I'm not part of this. I'm a visitor. I'm an alien. 
I'm passing through. I don't belong here. I'm just here for a short time, and then I'm going home. My kingdom is not of this world. My, my home is not in this world. I Believe me, my home is not one day to be in a pine box six feet under. That's not my eternal home. My eternal home is in heaven with my king. And that's where I'm living to get to. And that's where I'm earning to go to, to have that. When I look at him, he can look at me and say, well done, Tim. What is he going to say? You gave a lot of money? Or you, no, he's going to say, well done. You were poor in spirit. You were lowly in your life. You lived the kingdom process. You did it. And when people persecuted you, listen, you didn't withdraw. You didn't crawl into a shell. Blessed are you when they revile you. When they talk about you and they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Notice the word there, falsely. I, I told you I didn't steal nothing. I hadn't robbed anybody. I hadn't done anything. I pay my taxes. I don't even cheat on that. I probably pay a lot more than I should because I don't ever want any question about that. So even when people are uh, uh, falsely accusing you, isn't that, don't that hurt bad? You haven't even done anything. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Oh, man. Bless you when men revile and person and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to come to church and start jumping up and praising God. I know what you thought. You want to come to church. As soon as God gets this stuff, I come here because I need God to do something. No, no, no. If you're a disciple, you came here this morning to shake the rust off. You came here this morning to rejoice, to say, it ain't all finished yet. It ain't all done, but I know who's on the throne. It, it isn't all completed yet. It isn't all the way I'd like to see it yet, but I know who's on the throne. You rejoice in this. Brother, you rejoice when people talk about you. I better because I've been having it happen for years. It ain't going to change tomorrow. I, I can go to ball games. I can go. I get the cut eyes. I get the looks. And I'm like, Lord, please, just, 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 I, please. God's like, what you going to do? Just going to rejoice. God, I'm thankful that you're just bringing me through every situation and every circumstance, every problem. I'm trying to pass that on to my children. When they want to punch somebody or, or take a stick to some situation or something, I'm like, no, just, just rejoice. Just, just God's fighting your battles. God, now it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do what we can. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to, to go through the authorities. If there's some, if somebody does something, it don't mean you can't call the cops. If somebody steals your car out of your yard, well, God just must want it. No, call the cops. Let them find your car. But what it means is, it's not you that's got to fight. The beautiful thing about being in a kingdom is this. You don't have an army. Imagine if I'm in a kingdom. My job is to grow a farm, grow a garden. So I see the castle, I see the kingdom, I see the, and, and, and I'm growing a farm, and, and I'm doing this, and all of a sudden an enemy comes against me. What do I do? I run to the castle. I run to Jesus. I run to him. Why? Because he's the king. He has the army. He's protecting me. Because I'm part of his kingdom, I am under his, not only authority, but I'm under his protection and rule. So when somebody comes against me, they have to realize, no, you're coming against my Lord and you're coming against my Savior and you're coming against the one who's already whipped the world once and he'll be more than happy to do it again. So rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So everything in me says pull back, but everything God says is go forward. Then, guess what he jumps into? Verse 13. Took me a while to get back to that, but I'm there. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth. It's not that you become the salt of the earth. It's not that you are supposed to be like the salt of the earth. Salt is a credible thing. I wish I had time today, and I don't have hours to, to deal with how it, it grows or it is against rocks, and, and water washes over it that takes the impurities out of it, and how it takes two different chemicals 
and I know I won't say them right, sodium benzide, sodium benzite, whatever it's said, and I, you'll have to look that up. Two parts come together. I do the studying, but I can't pronounce all the words I study. But they come together to create one. Isn't it amazing how faith and repentance makes us... Isn't it amazing how grace and mercy comes together? So God uses this, this salt as a symbol. It's so much a symbol that let me show it to you in, in Scripture just to make sure you understand. Because the first main goal that salt plays in the life of things is it's to preserve things. We know that. It, it's preserved. Way before there was refrigerators or anything like that, you salted something. You, you, you put salt on it to cure it. I know we like to think of that. Boy, we, we do that now for specialty. I'm telling you, that, that is smokehouse bacon. That's smoke. We do it just for the fun of it now. You know, just like just something special to be done. But back in their time, if you wanted bacon and you wanted your pig to last all the way into next year, you had better salt it. You had better put it in a smoker and you had better keep it so it'd be cured and it would be against uh, being able to rot. When we say preserve something, it's so that it won't rot. It won't decay. Go with me to Leviticus, Leviticus 2 and 13. I'm going to show you that even in the Old Testament, God uses salt as a symbol. Here's what it says. And every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with. So we always thought, we always think that, well, they brought their sacrifice to the Lord. They brought their, but do you understand that every sacrifice they ever had to bring to the Lord to be burnt on an offering had to be what? Covered in salt. They could not bring just an offering. They could not just bring a plain offering. Their offering had to be covered in salt. Symbolizing the preserving power, the eternal power. So it gave a picture of eternal life, something that doesn't decay, something that doesn't rot, something that doesn't go away. Listen, and every offering of your grain offering shall be seasoned with salt, and you shall not allow the salt of the covenant. So he says, listen, it's part of your covenant, the salt of your covenant. It's, it's not just an earthly covenant, but it is an eternal covenant. And the salt represents the eternal side of what you're doing in the flesh. When the animal dies, that's the fleshly side that goes back to the earth. But what you do with the salt is you're saying that, yes, even though it's fleshly, God has put something on it that preserves it for eternity. And it's made something that was not meant to be eternal to be eternal. Mm. There's a lot more I could go there, but we're just going to stop. You get it? Okay. God to be lacking, listen, you shall not, uh, the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offering, you shall offer salt. Go in your Bibles to Numbers 18 and 19. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall offer to the Lord. I have given you and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. So this is forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Go in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans 1. Verses 21 and 22. Because, here, here, this is the New Testament version. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became... See, I need, I need you to understand this, because I'm going to come back to this in just a second. If the salt is not applied, there's something that happens in your life. So salt is a preservative. It represents the eternal, the, 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 to prevent rotting. But listen to me. It's also very valuable. To God, it was valuable, and to, on earth, it was valuable. Do you know that Roman soldiers many times were paid in salt? They're paid. Like you would just get in line, it'd be time to be paid. And they'd walk up to line and somebody would give them a bag of salt. 
Because salt could be sold and could be transferred to in so many commodities. You could take it to a store and say, I'll trade this salt for this, 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 and this. Oh, yes. It's as good as money. It's as good as money. So salt had value. It was extremely valuable. In fact, we use the phrase, they don't use it anymore, but you may have heard it if you're older. Are you worth your... Old-timers would say, are you worth your salt? Well, that came from the fact that salt was as good as money. So are you worth your salt? And if we want to go even further, I could tell you that you can't go without salt. My body right now has almost 80 teaspoons of salt in it. 80, think of that, 80 teaspoons. It has to have it. I think some of the diets and things people do today cause this problem because you see more cramping when we watch games. You see people passing out, low salt. I remember when we played ball, man, you know, somebody passed out on the field. They didn't call no ambulance. You know what they did? They put two salt tablets under your tongue and told you to just sit there for a few minutes. Gave you some water and two salt. You'll be fine in just a second, boy. And you were right back to playing ball. Why? Because most of the time they knew your problem was your low of salt. Your body has to have a certain amount of salt. Not only is it valuable, not only is it preserving, but it's also, it changes the taste of things. It makes it better. Whatever it touches, it's, it's like the salt that we have, the salt that we're using right here. All of us have salt. Some of you like a lot of salt. I don't. I guess I have plenty in my body. French fries, watermelon. Why would you ruin a watermelon? It ain't done nothing to you. And you want to go salt a watermelon. I know some of y'all are like, but I bet you don't like potted meat. <laughs> salt. It's, it, it doesn't look like it, but it changes the atmosphere of everything. When God looks at us, He says, listen, you don't become salt. You're not to act like salt. You, and you're the salt of what? Your family? You're the salt of the world. You know what is preserving this world, keeping it from going into chaos? You know what's preserving this world, keeping it from totally falling apart? You know what is pushing back against the tide of just ridiculous thinking and, and ridiculous thoughts and ridiculous schemes? And, and, and all? You know what's doing it? Salt. It's preserving. It's trying to keep the earth, and I'm going to put it in the best way I can. It's trying to keep it on a slow death instead of a fast one. Salt won't, salt won't totally cure. Salt won't last forever. But what it does is it preserves it longer than it ever would have gone itself. It would have rotted if it hadn't have been for salt. It would have gone out and just totally disintegrated if it hadn't have been for salt. Salt has been sent. We as the children of God are sent into this world to preserve this world. So you can't retreat. You can't draw back. Why? Because you are the only salt the world has. If you walk out of that family, if you walk out of that workplace, if you walk out of that situation and you choose not to salt it, not to be part of it, then it's going to go on and it has no preservative added to it. That's why the enemy says, oh, just don't try. Don't... It won't do any good. Oh, it will. If I put salt on it, I can put salt in your tea today, and I guarantee you, it ain't going to taste nothing like you like. You ever done that? Actually, put salt instead of sugar? You don't take but one sip, and you're like, that ain't right. And you know what we do many times to the world is they're doing something, they start to sip on something, and there you are in the middle, and they say, that ain't right. They'll look at you and say, I know, I know, it ain't right. Because you're the salt. That's your job. That's what you decided to be a disciple of Jesus for, is to be the salt to the world. You're valuable. 
Why did he say? He said, he said, in the kingdom of heaven one day, you'll be rewarded for being the salt that you are. In heaven one day, you will be rewarded for that salt. Not just because you said, I believe in Jesus. Not just because you went to church at all seasons. Not, you will be rewarded because your life was salt. You make it better. But now notice now, I told you, we've kept that scripture. It says, but if salt has lost its flavor, it is good for nothing but to be trodden under the foot of men. Salt in its greatest form in our lives is simply this. It's the influence that we have. But why don't you go to casinos? Because I don't want to sacrifice my influence. Pastor Light, you know, you, it, it says in the Bible you can drink, and you, you could drink a beer, you could do... Yes, I probably could. But I can't. Because it's not worth my influence. If you're, if you're trying to find a way to get out of your influence, you can always find something in the Bible and twist it to whatever you want. But if you read it in totality, really what it's all about is I must live my life in a way that makes other people's lives better. And creating alcoholics around me would not make my life better. And creating gambling addicts would not make my life better. It's a responsibility of a Christian to be salt. Why don't you cuss? Why don't? Because it does not make my life better. I don't do it. I'm not arguing with you. Oh, it's right, wrong, this. No, I'm salt. I'm called to do what I'm called to do. And you are too. He didn't say pastors are called to be the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. It's your responsibility. It's... You decide whether you want to give your influence away. You that are in school, at high school, you decide if you want to go to the same places and look like the same people and talk like them and do the same things they do and, and, and cave under the pressure and give away your influence. Because you know what they really want? It's not, it's not that they just want you to be like them. It's not What they want is they want your salt to lose its flavor so that it doesn't affect them when you walk in the room. Why would they send articles if, 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 if Pastor Lot made a mistake? Why would they come? I'll tell you real simple. It's not complicated. Because I would have lost my flavor. And they want the world to know you can be around this man from this moment on. And don't let him tell you or tell you how to be or tell you how to live or tell you what God says. Because he can't live it either. So therefore, he has no influence anymore. That word has lost its flavor. Lost its flavor is a really a combination word. And what it really means is this, to act foolishly. You as a Christian, if you decide, I'm going to continually act foolishly, I will lose my influence. If you act like the people you're trying to get in church, you're acting foolishly. If you're telling somebody not to do something, that you're doing it yourself, but just not to that extreme, you're acting foolishly. You have to decide, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then I'm salt. I'll taste a little different with me around. But it's not to hurt you. It's to make the flavor better. I don't care what recipe you pull up. I don't care if you go to go to a cooking channel, and we start. Let me tell you, one of the first ingredients, they're always, I don't care if they put cayenne, if they put this. Let me tell you, the first thing they're going to say, we got to put this in. Salt. It is the base for everything. And even though we're the visiting team now, we still, even in the pressure that we have to go under, and even sometimes when it's not liked, and sometimes when we get some looks and people talk behind our backs, it's okay. Because we're still called to be salt. You're called to be salt. Number two. You are also the light of the world. Go with me back there. And, and just to go back to that Romans, 
Now you see why I pulled it, because it's to act foolishly. What did, what did Romans say? It's the same word when it's translated in the Greek. Professing to be wise, they become fools. The Greek word is, is morano, which we get the word moron. So look at the person beside and say, don't grow up to be a moron. Yeah, I mean, it's a Greek word. You know, we use the word moronic. We also use the word, you're a moron. That's just a Greek word for being foolish. Don't be foolish. Be salt. Number two, you are also light. Now, this is confusing because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he turns around and says, you are the light of the world. So as Christians, many times we get this confused because we're always like, well, Brother Lot, what we're trying to do is get people to Jesus. We are. And we're not. Because what happens is, is that we think that Jesus is still the light of the world. He is, and he's not. Let me explain. Go with me to John, the eighth chapter, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, what did he say? I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. So that solves the problem, brother. Lot there, he, he makes it very clear. I am the light of the world. So Jesus is the one that we need to, 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 to tell people about. Jesus is the one, and we do. But understand, next verse, chapter 9. Jesus said, as long as I am in the, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. John says at the beginning of John, he says, we beheld his glory. We saw the light. It was Jesus. He came into the world and brought light into this world. Yes, he did. And for 33 years, he lived, and his light shined so bright that it just collected people and drew people. There was no light that has ever lived or ever will live like Jesus because he is the light. But he knew that I'm leaving. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. His preaching is changing. By chapter 12, we get to chapter 12 now, and his preaching has totally changed. Why? Because chapter 13, he's at the Last Supper. Chapter 14 and 15, 16, he's going through the process of crucifixion, getting ready. Chapter 17, he prays his last prayer over his disciples. And we know as the following chapters, he's crucified, resurrected. So what does he say in chapter 12, right before life is fixing to totally change on him? Here's what he says. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light. Why? Why has he transferred it now to say believe in the light? Keep, you need to believe in the light. You need, you need to believe, be a disciple of the light. Why? Because here's why. That you may become what? Sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. What they didn't understand and Hale didn't understand and everybody else didn't understand was that Jesus' plan was to die, to be resurrected, and the gift that God gave him was that he would be the light of the world. His name would be above every name. That his light then would live inside every single person that calls him Lord. So yes, he could say, I am the light of the world. And yes, you were. You were the light of the world. And then he can say, I'm not going to be here much longer, Tim. I know that. And I wish you would stay because it's a whole lot better when you're doing it than I got to do it. 
I don't like doing it. I don't like doing this. I don't, I'd rather Jesus be here preaching than me. Believe me, I would much rather be sitting where you are listening to Jesus, shining his light, healing every disease in here, going through every sin. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, we're, just a, we're, not, we're not the real, you know, the real deal. But at the same time, he says, this is the plan that I have. I'm going away, Tim. Do you believe in me? Yes. Do you believe in my kingdom? Yes. Are you salt? Yes. Then I need you to be light. I need you to let me shine through you. I need you to let me live through you. Light is an crazy thing. It's different than salt. Salt, you add it and it's a process. It's a chemical process. Light is, is instantaneous. The rabbis in their time, it said the same thing about them. In Jesus' time, any of the famous rabbis, any of the famous teachers, they would say of them, they are the light of the world. And Jesus comes along and changes it totally. He doesn't say, oh, Rabbi so-and-so is the light of the world. He, he looks and says, Victor is the light of the world. Victor, you are the light of the world. Elise, you are the light of the world. Every one of you in this room, you are the light of the world. In a dark world, in a world that doesn't even like light. Remember what the Bible says? Men love darkness. They hate light. And God says, I want you to walk into every room and every situation, and I want you to light it up. That's why where one of you are, it can do a little bit of light, but where two or ten of you get together, or 500 of you get together, or a thousand of you get together, oh, now you're lighting it up. And you have to remember how Jesus was telling it during his time. Go him in your Bibles, and well, we'll, just, we'll just end it here. This is a... A lamp. Can you get a close-up on this? You might get a close-up on it. Can you do that? All right, this is a lamp. See the little hole in the end? This is actually from Israel. When I went to Israel, this is one of the few things I bought. Stuff to me is nostalgic versus other things. I wanted to see the Sea of Galilee. Duh. And I wanted a... Because my life, my calling is not about Jerusalem. I know people love to go, you got to see Jerusalem. you got to see the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm like, Jesus ain't there no more. I don't care. My Savior rose. He's gone. It's an empty tomb. But now this is significant. Because I have this on my desk, and, and it reminds me every single day, Tim, you are the light. Do you have oil? Have you prayed? Have you studied? Have you, have you cleaned? Have you got everything ready so that you can light this? And whatever situation you walk into, see how little it is? This was what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about you are the light of the world. They understood it when he said, you are the light of the world. They're thinking, don't take a bunch of us. Yeah, but that's okay. He said, you are the light of the world. Just, just carry your light. Now, I always think of how Jesus would have said it if he was in our time. He would have said, you are the light in a building. You are the light that lights up a building. He, he could have used this in our time so many different ways. He'd say, you're not a strobe light. You're not supposed to just flicker on and off, and you're, you're, you're not supposed to just be in and out and quick and off. And it, you're, you're not even supposed to have a dimmer on your light. When he was talking about it, they didn't have no dimmer. They couldn't come over here and say, well, let's turn this down just a little. No, when they lit it, it was light. Us on Sunday, we got our Sunday clothes, our Sunday attitude, our Sunday music, and then when Monday comes, we 
dim our light so we fit in with everybody else, right? You're not a spotlight. We all love that. We're the light of the world. We find somebody that's living in darkness and we just, boom. You're going to die and go to hell. Really? Man, you're killing me. Oh, no. The devil's killing you. I'm trying to save you. I can't even see. It's because light is shining on you. No. We were called to be the light to the world. When it's lit, it's not lit for others. It's lit for you. Go back to that scripture in Matthew. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be... He said, you're not a spotlight, you're not a flashlight, you're just a light. Why? Why is it so important that I put this... I know I'm salt and I'm supposed to touch people and I'm, I'm supposed to take light and put it in the room, put it somewhere, or put it on a mantle, as they say, put it wherever everybody can see it. Why? Why? That is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand that it may give light to who? To everyone in the house. Notice what he explains this. Let your light so shine before. So, Brother Lot, why do I read my Bible? Why do I pray? Why do I get my light? Why do I let Jesus live through me? Why do I do it? Why am I the salt to anybody that's coming along? It's like, ooh, I'm going to get a little salt here. A little salt on you. Why am I the salt? Why am I the light? Because here's why. Let your light so shine, and he could have added this, and your salt touch everything around, that they may see your, my good works. So that they may see the good things that I do. And do what? And glorify your Father in heaven. I had a question asked to me yesterday. It was one of the more difficult questions. Sometimes I get them. And it may not seem difficult to you, but it is to me because I had a, had a dad come up to me. And he said, I want to get my kid in church. I'm trying to get my kid, you know, he needs to be in church. He needs to be. And the boy was just standing there. He's bigger than I was. And I'm thinking, this is kind of awkward. It's not the time to do that. He just, he just pulled out the flashlight and said, look at my boy right here. He needs to be getting, you know. And I'm like, I don't think this is going to be good. But he, he said, well, what do I need to do? I said, well, you need to take him to church. I didn't even talk to him to the boy. I'm like, you need to take him to church. He said, yeah, I know. I, I got I to gotta do that. And I'm, I'm on, I told him I'd go with him. And I'm thinking, he's 15 now. Probably going to be a tough fight now. And I looked at the boy and I said, listen. I don't know how to tell you to, to go to church. I said, let me put it this way. I said, why do you go to Walmart? I said, because they have what you need, right? I said, only you can search your heart and ask yourself, what am I missing? What's missing? Do I, do I feel alone? I don't have friends? Well, you need to come to church. Do I, do I, is there things in my life I can't control when I'm struggling? You, you need to come to church. Not, not the building, but you need to be part of the church. Is there gifts that you have, talents that you're not using? Hey, I can play guitar, I can sing. And you're not using them for the Lord? You need to be in church. And really in my mind, after all this studying in my head, I said, I understand, God, what you're saying. We are light and we are salt. 
And the greatest testimony we ever have is not looking at somebody who is not in church and just saying, you need to be in church. The greatest weapon we have is when we light up the area around them and we live a life in front of them and show them you don't have to keep missing what you're missing. That's what Jesus did. That's what He taught His disciples to do. Go about doing good. Go about loving people. And yeah, I hate to break it to you, when you do walk into a room, it will light up. And there will be some in that room that's like, oh, I can't stand them. There will be times you'll shake some salt on a situation. They're like, it just ain't no fun when Pastor Lot's around. I mean, you just can't seem to have no fun with Pastor. I understand. But if you do it, what's going to happen is they're going to see your good works. And eventually, they're going to glorify their Father. The one they haven't met yet and they're struggling to get to. They're going to meet Him. And they're going to glorify their Father. And they're going to thank you for helping them get there. We are fishermen. And we are salt and we are light. If you're a disciple, it's our call. Will you stand? I can't change the culture of this world. I can't change all the influences that we're having to fight now. I can't. It's like a tidal wave of the world deciding, no, we're going to do what we want to do and we're not going to listen to anyone. And I, nobody, even more than me, would want to see a great revival or a great. I'll tell you what's really going to happen in these last days. There may be small pockets of churches. There may be small pockets of families. There may be small pockets of an individual who's going to take seriously what Jesus says. I'm light. Thank you.
one you're giving in my heart right now. And it just, just goes like this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? There's sometimes I want us to just slow down. And Lord, today I just want them to slow down. And I want them to ask this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? What is He trying to tell me through today's message? Father, I hope with all of my heart that they receive it. That it transforms them. That they learn to walk with you better and let you shine through them greater. Because you are the light of the world and we are the light of the world. We are the only physical representative that you have that you long to live through. We are the salt that if this world doesn't taste us, it's going to go headlong into hell and not even see it coming. Make us great fishermen. Let us tell our story. Whatever it is that you're speaking to them today, I declare in Jesus' name that it will go home with them. It will wake them up tonight until they settle it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And amen. Hey, you got a good opportunity to go give that devil fits this week.